This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. The Lord has come. Let earth receive their King. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. What a wonderful season. It's a season with lights and songs and, and concerts, and it's a wonderful time. But it's also a hard time for many, many families. And so today I want to talk to you about Christmas disappointments and world peace. I thought it was a funny title. But let me read the scripture again to you found in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. Oh, glory to your name, O oh God. What a gift, what a delight, what a healing, what an anointing, what a blessing to us, what favor you've shown to us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only begotten son, that we might have a right to the tree of life. We love you, Lord. We magnify your name, and we've come to praise you for your bounty, for your gifts, for your mercies, for your love. Teach us, bless us, heal us, help us. And we thank you for your presence, God, with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Christmas disappointment. Christmas is a real hard time for many folks. On the 21st, on December 21st, I called a friend because it's the anniversary, the first anniversary of his wife's death who was my dear friend, and he answered the phone with sobs. On December 22nd, I was in the hospital, and two families had deaths. And there was a lot of, lot of, lot of tears, as so she said. One of the ladies said, he's my world. How will I make it? Then on Christmas Eve, we went caroling. Some of us went caroling. Everybody went caroling, raise a hand. Amen, there's some carolers back there. We went caroling in the neighborhood, and one of the neighbors had asked us to come because he wanted us to sing, the carolers to sing a song that he and his wife had played at their wedding about 40-some years ago. And he said to us, we, I want you to sing this song because I'm dying of stage four cancer. And I think this is my last Christmas. So we sang the song for him on Christmas Eve. 
Yesterday, one of my employees died, one of my friends, and I was there with her dad, whose wife, her mother, had died last year with the same cancer, metastatic, all over the place, and I was with her daughter. So sad, Christmas has so many disappointments. The news is horrible. Babies being killed, babies being wrapped in newspaper, shootings and stabbings and car accidents and Christmas disappointments. A lot of pain connected with Christmas too because it's also a cold time and the sun doesn't often shine. It shuts down early during this season. And so it's a sad time, seasonal affective disorder, a lot of sorrow. But you know, when I think of the Christmas story, I think the whole Christmas story, they had to deal with disappointment. When we look at the Christmas story, we see Mary and Joseph and the baby and everybody's got a little light around around the head and they're looking all wonderful and folks are kneeling at their feet and everybody looks clean and wonderful. But I really think the Christmas story is a story of disappointment. Let me tell you, go with me in the story. Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph, the husband of Mary, remember he's an older man and he was... Mary was to be his wife, and he picked this beautiful young woman because she was a virtuous young woman, and he loved her, and he was going to marry her. And she gets some news, and she goes off to visit with her cousin Elizabeth for three months, and when she comes back, she's pregnant. Do you think that could have been disappointing? I think that would have been disappointing for this man But the Bible says that he was a man, a good man, and he didn't want to make a public spectacle of her, and he purposed to put her away quietly and not show off because really women that were pregnant out of wedlock like that were supposed to be stoned. He didn't want to do that because he loved her. But then an angel came to him and said, Joseph, no, she's pregnant of the Holy Spirit, marry her anyhow. What? Who ever heard of something? And as a man of God, a son of David, he determined to do what God says. But I think originally, you think maybe he was disappointed when he heard that she was pregnant? Well, I think he was disappointed because we get disappointed when we don't know the purpose of a thing. I don't understand. Son, This is of the Holy Spirit, I'm in this. We have a problem when we don't know the purpose of something. When God tells us, no, yes, I'm gonna let you fail this class. I remember my kids, one of my sons came home and he had failed the class. He was so disappointed, so disappointed till he found out that everybody in the class failed the class. Everybody, I mean, failed that test. Everybody failed it. And so if he had gotten a good grade, it would affect the curve. And so the, 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 um, the teacher had to adjust it down so some folks and everybody got to. But if he had passed, then it would have ruined it for everybody. It's, it helps us when we know the purpose, but God doesn't always tell us the purpose. 
And so disappointments come because they don't meet my expectation. I expected to do well. I expected when I turned the key to that car, it was going to go instead of going. And I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed when I didn't get the raise. But then you find out, you know, with the 9-11 thing, all those folks were disappointed that they couldn't get their cars started or their child made them late. And then they found out later when the building fell down. Oh, we understand. Let me read you a story I read, I mean, I found in the guidepost some years ago that really touched, my, touched me. It was a, it's a story about a little boy. His name is Cubby. He was adopted. This couple had adopted uh, three boys. They had two of their own, and they adopted little Cubby. Cubby died when he was 11 years old. But Cubby was born with hemophilia. He couldn't, his blood didn't clot. And so because he had so many transfusions, he ended up with AIDS. Didn't bother Cubby at all. Cubby knew his purpose. And listen to what it says, Cubby says. I want everybody to know that it's okay to be friends with people who have AIDS. I want people who are sick to know that a good life doesn't need to be a long life and that they can live the life God gave them, not the life they wish God gave them. He was nine when he said this. He was nine. He knew his purpose. During the next two years, well, what happened was, Cubby asked his big brother to write his story about hemophilia and adoption and AIDS, and the story was accepted for the writers, Guidepost Young Writers uh, Contest, and so his story ended up in the Guidepost. And then Cubby got on the news, the articles, he was, he was famous in New Jersey. He was famous, everybody knew him all about, and he was teaching people about his purpose. During the next two years, despite deteriorating health, Cubby persisted in his mission. He spoke openly and sincerely about AIDS issues and his faith in God. He told television reporter Jane Wallace, I'm not afraid to die and go to heaven. It's the being sick part I don't like. Sometimes when I'm real sick, I pray to God and for my guardian angel to hold my hand, I know God hears my prayers because then my hand feels warm. He participated in local walkathons to benefit children with AIDS. He wrote letters to politicians and businesses, went door to door in neighborhoods, raising funds to help the poor. He helped his brothers, older brothers, make sandwiches to feed the homeless in Philadelphia. Every year he would use his birthday gifts and Christmas gifts to help poor families or to help them with uh, Thanksgiving dinners. He would sit out in his wheelchair and collect money at Christmas time, but he died. He squeezed, it says, a lifetime of giving into the few short years he had because he knew his purpose. Do you know your purpose? 
what is your purpose? Well, I think Joseph's was disappointing, but I think Mary's story was far more disappointing. Think about it. Now, she was maybe 12, 14 years old, and she's supposed to marry this old man. Well, maybe that wasn't disappointing. Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. But it could be disappointing. And then she gets married. He doesn't put her away. But now she's nine months pregnant. When the message comes out, you've got to go to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Now, is that disappointing? When you are fully pregnant, you don't want to go anywhere except to the hospital. Amen? Somebody know what I'm talking about? Okay. So the message comes, and they always, you know, they always sit her real cute, sitting on that donkey. Can you imagine being full-blown pregnant, riding on a donkey, 7, 8, 10, 12 miles, or on a cart, or walking? That's disappointing. Now, and then you get there, and, you, and everybody's there, crowds everywhere, and there's no hospital, there's no hotel room, and you've got to end up in a stable. And they said there were so many people there. You know, our pictures of the stable, there's a cow and a sheep, some doves maybe or something. But there was a lot of people there, so I imagine there were a lot of cows and a lot of sheep and a lot of goats and a lot of other things in there that I wouldn't want to be in there, and she was in a stable. Do you think that might have been disappointing? I doubt if she brought her birthing gown. But you know, every picture of Mary, isn't she looking pretty? Hair looking good? Clothes ironed? She just gave birth in a manger, and it does not, in a, in a stable, and it doesn't say midwives came. It didn't say a doctor showed up. I don't know that there was a wash basin there for her to get all washed, because here come a whole bunch of shepherds to look. See, y'all don't understand. Y'all, see, you all are too young. You don't understand. This is a young group. When you have a baby, you don't want a crowd coming to see you. Amen? Somebody know what I'm talking about? And you don't want a whole bunch of men, strangers, coming to look at you and your baby. You don't feel that cute. But every picture, she's with her little light over her head. I think she must have been really disappointed. I would have been disappointed. And this is why I would have been disappointed, because this is why we get disappointed. In Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 28, And having, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. See? I'm favored. See, we have a problem with definition. That's why we get disappointed. When I, when I say, you are my favorite son, that means you get an extra help in the food, right? That means that when you are in trouble, I don't knock you down. Favor means I will bless you. I call on you first. And I, he said, you are favored and then you, she thought maybe she was going to go to a suite. 
or at least a hotel room, not a stable. See, our definition of favor means good things are coming. I'm going to win the lottery. I've been praying. I've been giving my tithes favor. Open the windows of heaven. <laughs> Pour out a blessing. I know I'm going to win. <laughs> See, that's my definition. We don't, God's definition is different from ours. Isaiah 55 verse uh, 9 says that as heaven is higher than the earth, so is his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. God thinks about things differently than we do. Amen? When he calls us something, for instance, you know, I read that the word amateur, amateur means somebody who's not as good as most folk, right? I mean, they're just novices. Not true. The word amateur comes from the root word of amore, amor, love. The word amateur comes from the root of you are someone who loves what you do. You're not a professional. You do it for pay. I play basketball because I just like playing basketball. I play basketball because I make a million dollars playing basketball. Amateur means I do it for the love of it because it delights me. I'm not a professional musician. I'm an amateur. I do it because I love him and I love making music. But see, our definitions are different. God's definition and our definition, and we get, we have problems with the fact that we don't agree with what he says. What is your definition of being a Christian? What's your definition? That, that I will be the head and not the tail. Amen. That means when the because I'm going to be the boss person because I'm the Christian. No, think about it. For God so loved the world, look at his definition of love, that he gave. He came to be servant and not served. What? I don't like that word. When you look at God's definition of word, of love, it meant death on a cross. What? Oh, no, I don't like that. Love means, he's so cute, I just love on you, and you hug you. No, love means go to work. Do it. What are your definitions? Why do you come? Who are you? What is your definition of church and of worship? See, God's whole character, that's what we studied last week in Sabbath school lesson, is that we're, we're looking at God's character. He has one purpose. His only purpose is reconciliation and redemption. Everything that you go through, walk through, that he lets you be involved with, he has one purpose at all times is that I want you back with me. Reconciliation and redemption. So as I walk through trials and valleys, I learn to count them joy because he will use those things to bless me to help me, to grow me, so that I can be more like him. I forgot to turn this on. Let me 
put this on, I want to read you something about disappointment. God, some, God trains by bringing them, some folk, some God trains by bringing them to disappointment and apparent failure. This is Gospel Workers 269. It is his purpose that they shall learn to master difficulties. He inspires them with a determination to prove every apparent failure a success. Often men pray and weep because of the perplexities and obstacles that confront them. But if they will hold the beginning of their confidence steadfast unto the end, God will make their way clear. Success will come as they struggle against apparently insurmountable difficulties and with success will come the greatest joy. That's what we talked about in Sabbath school. We talked about confidence that we're growing up to when stuff happens, we do like this. Ooh, I can't wait to see how God will get me through this Red Sea instead of uh, I can't get across the Red Sea. Don't have a boat. He brought me to the Red Sea Oh, I wonder if we're going to fly. Man, it'd be cool if we walk under the water. Wonder what'll happen. How's he going to get us through? Maybe he's going to stop all the Egyptians, make us give them, give them the chariots, and we'll just ride on over. What? When we come to obstacles, we're growing to a place where we'll say, I don't know how you're going to get me through, but Lord, I'm standing here. I trust that you're going to work it all together for my good. He said it. He, didn't, he came up with the promises, not us. And then finally, I think, I think the angels were also disappointed. I think they had their issues with disappointment. Let me read to you from a book, one from Mrs. White's book, and it's called Eternal, The Eternal Past. The angels could not rejoice as Christ opened before them the plan of redemption. Did you hear that? They couldn't rejoice. They were disappointed. In grief and wonder, they listened as he told them how he must come in contact with the degradation of earth to endure sorrow, shame, and death. He would humble himself as a man and become acquainted with the sorrows and temptations which man would have to endure in order that he might be able to succor them that should be tempted. When his mission as teacher should be ended, he must be subjected to every insult and torture that Satan could inspire. He must die the cruelest of deaths as a guilty sinner. He must endure anguish of soul, the hiding of his father's face while the sins of the whole world should be upon them. I read that when we fell, the angels stopped praising. They were so disappointed, they could not even sing praises anymore. The angels offered to become a sacrifice for man, but only he, only Jesus, who created man, had power to redeem him. Christ was to be made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. As he should take human nature upon him, his strength would not be equal to the angels. And they were to strengthen him under his sufferings. They were also to guard the subjects of grace from the power of evil angels. That's us. They're going to guard us. They are in this plan with God, with us. 
when the angels should witness the agony and humiliation of their Lord, they would wish to deliver him from his murderers, but they were not to intervene. It was a part of the plan that Christ should suffer the scorn and abuse of wicked men. Christ assured the angels that by his death he would ransom many and recover the kingdom which man had lost by transgression. The redeemed were to inherit with him. Sin and sinners would be blotted out nevermore to disturb the peace of heaven or earth. Then, when he told them that, an inexpressible joy filled heaven. Through the celestial courts echoed, echoed the first strains of that song, of the same song, which was to ring out above the hills of Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest peace, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. When they understood his purpose, when they knew his plan, when they understood his definition of love and redemption, then they started singing world peace. Peace to men. Isn't that good news? Well, it is to me. Good news. See, they were disappointed because they loved Jesus. Love will make you disappointed. When I see my children making choices that I think will injure them, I get disappointed. When I see somebody I love failing or falling or even dying, I get disappointed. But when I step back and recognize that he has a plan and a purpose and that I trust him, then I move on into that and I'm able to sing glory to God in the highest and peace because God has a plan not just for you and for me, but for the whole world. Isn't that good news? Good news. I, it's a time of gray skies and cold and disappointment, but God has a plan. Let me read a story to you, and I have to read it to you because it's written in a certain way. Tomorrow morning, the surgeon began, I'll open your heart. You'll find Jesus there, the boy interrupted. The surgeon looked up, looked up annoyed. I'll cut your heart open, he continued, to see how much damage has been done. But when you open up my heart, you'll find Jesus in there, said the boy. The surgeon looked at the parents, looked to the parents for help, who sat quietly by the bed. When I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew your heart and your chest back up, and I'll plan what to do next, the surgeon stated. But you'll find Jesus in my heart. The Bible says he lives there. The hymns all say he lives there. You'll find him in my heart, the voice smiled. The surgeon had had enough. I'll tell you what I'll find in your heart. I'll find damaged muscle, low blood supply, and weakened vessels, and I'll find out if I can make you well. You'll find Jesus there, too. He lives there. The boy smiled again. The surgeon sat in his office recording his notes after the surgery. Damaged aorta, damaged pulmonary, pulmonary vein, 
widespread muscle de degeneration, no hope for transplant, no hope for cure, therapy, painkillers and bed rest, prognosis. Here he paused, death within a year. He stopped the recorder, but there was more to be said. Why, he asked aloud, why did you do this? You put him here. You've allowed this pain. You've cursed him to an early death. Why? The Lord answered, this boy, my lamb, was not meant for your flock for long, for he's part of my flock and will forever be. His parents are mine, and they will know my peace. The surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was hotter. You created that boy, and you created that heart. He'll be dead in months. Why? The Lord answered, I did not put my lamb with your flock to lose him, but to retrieve another lost lamb. The surgeon wept. Later, the surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents crossed from him. The little boy awoke and whispered, did you cut open my heart? Yes, said the surgeon. What did you find, asked the boy. I found Jesus there, said the surgeon. I found Jesus. Purpose, purpose, disappointment. When you know your purpose, when you know that he has a plan, you will have disappointments, but we're growing up to be able to count them all, to count them all, not some of them, but we're learning to count them all joy. See, I love to see how God delivers, and I see him deliver. Oh, sometimes I want, sometimes I want when I pray for folks that they will wake right up. But one day, one of them did. Yeah, I was praying, and the lady came back alive. Sure did. What a mess. Scared my doctors, scared my nurses, scared the staff, scared everybody, scared me. She was pronounced and covered, and now she's breathing again. Oh, man, we're afraid of lawsuits. We're it was a mess. I trust him, but I want to count it all joy because I know the promise that he said that he would work all together for our, for, his, for our good. And he has a plan. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. The little girl, I think I told you all about this little girl who was supposed to come to this women's retreat. She was supposed to tell them, because she's an evangelist. She's only about 18 years old. But she had this disease that was just debilitating and painful, and she was, they didn't have a cure for it, and she struggled. Well, two days before the women's conference, 
she ended up in the ICU with this painful disease and she was angry. She was disappointed. She wanted to be there. And then she repented that and she said, Lord, I am so sorry. I know you order my steps and you wanted me to be here. And so she said to her nurses, she said, are there other patients here? And they said, yes. She said, can I have some paper and some pens and crayon? And she made all the other patients get well cards. And she gave them to the nurse to pass them out. Her sister recorded all this, so we saw this at the women's retreat. We heard her tell this story. So she sent them to all the patients with a Bible text on all of the, the cards. And after a while, family members and patients start coming into her room for prayer and for blessing because she remembered her purpose. She remembered that whatever he brings us to, he can take us through. Do you believe it? UPS got in trouble this, this, um, this week because everybody was mad. They, we didn't get our Christmas gifts on time. We're so angry. We're going to sue. We're going to be so mad. But another mother said, oh, yeah, the presents are late. Oh, that means we can drag Christmas out longer and longer. <laughs> when they finally get here, we'll celebrate some more. Perspective. We know our purpose. It was about presence and celebration. We will celebrate glory to God in the highest. And on the whole earth, peace. There's one, and I'll close with this. I'm, I'm going too long. I'm sorry, folks. There's a song, Henry Wadworth's Longfellow. There's a Christmas song. Have you heard, you know this song? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. You know that song? And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to man. It's real long. But he wrote that when his son enlisted in the Union Army fighting against slavery against his will. And his son became a lieutenant and he was injured in a battle, and he was dying. His wife, Longfellow's wife had died a year before, and he was overwhelmed with grief and disappointment and sorrow. And he wrote one verse in there, he said, and in dismay I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men. And then he remembered God. And then the bells rang out more loud and, loud and sweet. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's coming, folks. Because of that manger many years ago, 2,000 years ago, and because our Christ died and rode for us, there will be peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
If you believe that, stand with me as we do our closing prayer. <laughs>